What's up, folks? It's uh, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega here, coming to you, yes, you, with take two of um, episode 53 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, a podcast in which we sensationalize the everyday. We talk about a lot of boring, mundane things that I veer off into tangential uh, takes and ruminations about. For the tens of ones who did not really want to hear these things and never needed to in the first place. And I say take two of episode 53 because I sat down to record episode 53 last week and was hit with a kitchen sink of technical difficulties which sapped my will to uh, complete the episode. So I tapped. It was as if... uh, it was as if, God, I don't know, why am I drawing a blank? It was as if some MMA fighter known for submission holds um, had a hold of me. It was as if Marsheen Held had me in a leg lock, and I was forced to tap, and I was forced to um, allow my first attempt at episode 53 to vanish into the ether, forever gone, and never to be heard from again, but I'm back here this week with episode 53, um, as I said, take two, and we will see uh, if this take comes to fruition, if we get to the finish line here. So let's see, what are we going to talk about on this big, super special episode 53 of the podcast? I've got a couple, couple topics, and I guess we'll just run them down point by point. Starting from point A, something I was beginning to speak about when I attempted to do this show last week and uh, didn't get around to finishing. Uh, What the issue was is uh, every so often with this microphone that I use, I get this horrible static noise in the background. And it's too profound a static to... um, It it would make the the episode unlistenable to the tens of ones. Um, And normally uh, some... Unplugging and replugging, some turning off and turning on of the computer sets it all to rights and everything's fine, but that wasn't working last week. And I was coming off the heels of um, my uh, much beloved MacBook, Apple laptop computer, has given up the ghost. This is an extremely expensive laptop computer, and I say this not to um, uh, make a great show of how I'm just making it rain. And, you know, I'm right now I'm doing that, um, hand gesture where you're like, you know, what is that even? It's like, it's as if you have a stack of bills and you're like flinging them off the the top of your hand. Anyway, it's not about that. Uh, what it is, is, um, several years ago I had a full-time job. I was working, uh, remotely for this horrendous company We'll have to roast them one of these days, but I don't feel like doing it right now. But so basically this was an all remote company, but this company was so poorly managed and uh, labor conditions were so poor that your entire ability to work at this company revolved around having a highly functional laptop computer. 
but this company, you were, you were completely on your own um, with uh, furnishing said computer. There, there was no, not even partial funds towards paying for a computer, nothing. It's like you, you got to spend a ton of money out of your pocket for the privilege of having the tools you needed to do the job. And I know there's people out there, there's this real sad slave mentality out there in the world. I imagine it's all over the world. I know it's for sure an American thing, but but I, I think these things, these uh, fallacies of thought, these slave mentalities, these mutations of the mind uh, persist around the globe, I'm sure, have their own version in different, different cultures, different locales. But uh, so I hear this a lot. As you may know, um, I watch a lot of mixed martial arts. I watch a lot of pro wrestling. I can here and there with pro wrestling. But anyway, I, I, for years, I've, I've had my finger on the pulse of both of these uh, performance arts. And um, both are known for particularly... Um, well, let's put, they're known for labor conditions that do not uh, uh, favor the laborer. And I understand it to a degree because both are somewhat like freakish niche uh, professions. Like I don't, I don't know that anyone has the right to get paid a lot of money to pretend to fight someone while wearing spandex. Uh, if you're able to, that's great. But I don't know. That, that's not you know we've we've heard a lot over the last year or two of essential workers. I don't know that this is essential work. I feel like this is artistic expression. And I, I've always, I'm always kind of a, it's a mixed bag for me when it comes to monetary compensation for artistic expression. I know a lot of people in the arts who are up in arms that they're not being paid more to create art, but I've been paid next to nothing for creating art ever in my life. And I've always had some creative iron in the fire and I've almost taken, taken it as a point of pride that I'm doing this to do it. I I'm doing art to do it. I'm not doing it because I hope to get paid. If I wanted to do that, I could go learn how to be a plumber. If I wanted to do that, I could have been good at math and been an engineer. Shout out to engineer nerd. Um, but uh, although, you know, engineering is its own form of, of artistic expression, I guess. But see, here right now, I'm already falling into this slave mentality because I'm convincing myself I don't deserve to be compensated for my work. Uh, and that's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is for me, there is a little bit of gray area when it comes to the arts because art is something that you should just be doing. It's part of living. Like, should you be paid to live? But then again, maybe you should be paid to live. I don't know. We're getting way off the uh, off the track here. Let's get it. Let's let, let's reel it back in here. Okay. So, in the world of MMA and the world of professional wrestling, in the the bigger companies that are able to pay, theoretically, could be paying their employees, you know, decent money, could be providing some sort of decent employee benefits. Um, there is a mentality in those professions that are. Com- both like the highest of the high, the WWE and the UFC, the two pinnacles of each professional wrestling and mixed martial arts. Um, the promoter has such a stranglehold on the labor force that essentially, for instance, in both companies, if you're a UFC fighter, if you're a WWE performer, you're not actually a UFC or a WWE employee. You are an independent contractor. Fine. But you're not an independent contractor that can then go work, do contracts with other employers. You're an independent contractor that is bound to a contract with this one employer, yet you're still somehow not their employee. It's very strange. It makes no sense. I can't think of another profession that involves contracting where this is the case. Uh, when I remodeled the kitchen at Sensational Manor, I mean, I didn't do it. I paid someone to do it. Or rather, Ms. Sensational paid someone to do it, but let's not split hairs. Uh, when we remodeled our kitchen some years ago at Sensational Manor in Santa Rosa, California, we hired a contractor to do the job. 
Now, when this contractor was working for us, he was not an employee, obviously. We're not paying the man uh, medical benefits. We're not paying into his retirement. We had a contract with him to do a job. But at the time that he was doing this job for us, he had other contracts out in the world that he was fulfilling. He would do work at our house. He would sometimes leave to go finish work at another house, so on and so forth. That, to me, is the essence of an independent contractor. Roman Reigns cannot decide to go take dates at another professional wrestling organization, Roman Reigns being a the current uh, biggest WWE quote-unquote star, a WWE company that no longer is, is both, is neither capable of making stars, nor is that really what they're in the business of doing because the brand is the thing. They don't need, stars are just a detractor to them because stars can go somewhere else. But again, we're digressing. Um, the biggest star in WWE who is an independent contractor cannot then go decide to take dates with other employers. So these people are somehow both bound to everything, all the worst parts of being an employee, that you're completely bound to this employer with none of the perks, no benefits, uh, pay is, is, is done on this. The uh, WWE independent contractors, for instance, pay their own transportation as they're going from city to city on tour. It's really, really wild. And in UFC, um, similar case, in UFC, um, it, it's been a topic lately that their fighters, compared to other professional athletes working for other Athletic organizations that are making similarly billions of dollars, like say the NFL, MLB, uh, UFC uh, fighters, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but the, the percentage of the profits that they, that actually go out to paying the salaries of the fighters is so infinitesimally much smaller than um, other organizations. Of course, as, of course, other organizations have the much dreaded by mutants labor unions that help them uh, collectively bargain for contracts and make sure they get paid what they're worth. UFC fighters don't have that. They're, they're lone wolves. They're independent contractors. So, for instance, there was recently an interim uh, UFC heavyweight title fight. And the fellow who won this fight was paid, I believe, $325,000 for this fight. Now, you may say, Gino Vega, $325,000 sounds like quite a bit of money. And, you know, for me, if I was to make $325,000 for, you know what, 20 minutes of work, that would be amazing. But when you're talking about in relation to other professional athletes, this is this is an insanely low pay. Now, some of these individuals have started to speak out about how weird it is that they're paid so much less than other athletes. And you can take aside, we're not getting into, do athletes deserve to be paid money, blah, 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 blah. We're just literally just in, in the, the spectrum of what professional athletes are paid by major American uh, athletic conglomerates. UFC fighters are paid so low. Some of them have spoken out. And there's this backlash by other fighters and some fans. They're whining. They're complaining. Quite humorously, recently, uh, UFC, former UFC fighter Travis Brown had UFC president Dana White on his podcast, on Travis Brown's podcast. And the two of them sat around bagging about these whiny bees who are complaining about wanting to be paid more and the scumbag media that helps exacerbate this problem. They should be happy with what they're getting paid. Now, Irony of all ironies, Travis Brown is uh, the husband of Ronda Rousey, so it's very easy for him. I can't imagine he made a lot of money in his lackluster UFC career, but he's married to one of the few people that that received huge amounts of money from their time fighting in UFC, because UFC is very, uh, the whole one percenty thing is in full effect. There's a small little triangle, of, the point of the triangle of people way at the very top, four or five stars make a lot of money, and then it trickles down and everyone else makes crap. Um, so husband of rich, uh, woman and billionaire owner or almost billionaire owner of, or he's not the owner anymore, but whatever, you know, billionaire figurehead of this huge company are sitting around here, um, belittling people for thinking that they should assert themselves to be paid with their worth. And it's so weird to me how 
so many people that resonates with them. Like, yeah, Dana deserves all his money, but everyone else is whining. How hard is it to, like, you know, just spread the... Oh, okay, I was going to say spread the wealth, and I know the, the mutants among us, some of the, those of you who are hiding out in the tens of ones are going to start freaking out and talking about how this is some, like, wealth redistribution scheme or something. That's not what I'm talking about at all. There's plenty of money to go around. Dana White can still be filthy rich while properly con- compensating his fighters. I don't understand why there's such a... Bl- like. You know, I have one billion, but I need two billion. That 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 just makes no sense to me. It blows my mind. But what blows my mind is even more is that there are normal schmoes like me that uh, that notion appeals to. He should have two billion. One's not enough. If you want a hundred thousand, you're whining. So anyway, this brings me back to my old job where um, I had to pay for my own computer for the privilege of working this for this company. And of course I didn't whine and I didn't complain. I just sat there like a chump and took it and embraced the same mentality and bought my own computer. But here's the other sad thing. I bought that computer with my inheritance from my grandmother. My grandmother died and um, she left each of the grandkids a couple G's and wanted us to go out and buy something. Just don't worry about saving it. Don't worry about doing anything. Uh, um, uh, reasonable with it. Just go out and spend a couple G's on something. So I went out and spent a couple G's on this very nice laptop computer that I worked myself to death with for this company. And when I quit the company, I still had the computer and I obviously didn't need it for work anymore, but I had this really nice computer, much nicer than anything I would ever need. But I always in the back of my mind knew because this computer was so nice and so expensive, when it died, and it would, because laptops always die, um, there's no way I was going to replace it because A, I didn't have the need for it. B, I didn't have another round of G's through the inheritance, you know, uh, locked and loaded for it. And so sure enough, um, before recording last week, said laptop died, is no longer with us. And now I'm using some bargain basement, hundred dollar, couple hundred dollar PC machine that I can barely see because I'm so used to the super bleeding high resolution uh, screen output of uh, my deceased laptop that came to me by way of my deceased grandmother. And now I'm just looking at this, you know, where the, the images are on these cheap laptops. It's like it's like the interlaced video thing and it's all grainy and stuff. Ugh. Well, I'm almost used to it now after a week. But anyway, I somehow find myself like halfway through the show almost already and totally veered away from anything I was even intending to talk about. So let's rein it back in. Let's take a real quick break and then let's rein it back in with the last two things I want to try to hit for episode 53. And then I will bid you adieu on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio What's up, folks? We are back, and we are back in much raised spirits from when I first uh, sat down to put uh, mouth to mic, as it were, for this episode 53. 
uh, I've been kind of, kind of, uh, kind of down lately, kind of feeling that urge to walk the earth as, uh, IC Robots often puts it on his world's famous IC Robots show, which you can listen to right here on the IC Robots Radio Network. Go to your preferred podcast platform, search IC Robots Radio, hit subscribe, and you will have automatic access to all network content that comes down the pike. That includes this show, that includes our flagship show, the world's famous IC Robot show, easy for me to say, uh, and anything else that may be in the mix. But, um, yeah, I've just been feeling like packing it in, dude. I don't I don't mean like this show per se, but just just like just outward life. You know, like uh some days it's just like, you know, I, I'm happy with my my inner life. I'm happy with my family life. Uh I go on Facebook and I see mutants ranting and raving and I, I go out and go to weird social functions and, and just feel tired and you know, I just, sometimes it's really nice to just the thought of just cutting it all off and just staying at home and doing nothing. It's kind of appealing, but uh, at the same time, you know, I feel bad. Like I'll somehow be missing out on something if I just pack it in entirely. So I'm still here for for now, probably for the duration. But you know how it is. There's always always that little call walking the earth. Always that little little uh, um, little urge to just. I don't mean and. Don't do a welfare check. I don't mean end it all like in life. I'm per- perfectly happy with life. I just mean end it all as far as being an outward social person. And some days when it comes to the show, I sit down and it's like, man, I don't want to hear myself talk. No one else needs to hear this. I don't want to put this out there. But then I start and the flow begins and it, it, it all it all, it all kind of feels much better, feels much more natural. And I feel like, yes, I should be doing this even if, you know, one dull is, is, even if it's for a literally an audience of one dull. I don't even know if one dull's still out there listening. Maybe he is. We'll see. Um, anyway, where were we? Oh, so, um, just sitting here, another lovely day in the state of California. Uh, there's a, um, uh, interesting, um, mutant warfare is going on today as we have our, um, gubernatorial recall election. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar our state of California has very bizarre recall rules for politicians. And so it's, it's, it's relatively easy to get a recall going for someone like a governor. And I guess it happens quite often. Oh, the attempts have happened quite often. They don't usually come to fruition. We had one in my lifetime that uh, netted us uh, the Terminator himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger as governor of the state. That was amazing. That was truly phenomenal. Um, but this most recent attempt uh, has been successful. And um, we have kind of an annoying, triggery governor for many people because um, he's this overly slick looking, skinny guy, smooth talker. Uh, uh, so he, he's like an easy, if, if you're someone, so we live in a predominantly Democrat voting state, and the governor's obviously a Democrat. And like I said, he's this annoying, kind of pretty boy, skinny twerp. Um, so if you are someone that everything Democrat is the antithesis to you, and this really annoying guy is the figurehead of it, it's very understanding to me why he triggers so much rage and, uh, um, just, uh, drives, drives, uh, yeehaw types wild. I, I totally get that. Um, one of my best friends is a yeehaw mutant and, uh, he's been, he's been up in arms about this guy for, for years, long before he was ever a, a governor. So I get it. Um, he's almost, he's not as, it's not as extreme as like Mr. Trump. 
um, because he's not as much of a cartoon character as Mr. Trump. But I, he, I understand how he triggers Trumpy type people in the way that um, Trump triggers most normal human beings. I do understand that. And I'm not saying I'm even a fan of this individual. I'm not a fan of any politician. I mean, politician, you, you elect someone because someone has to be the figurehead of the machine that lurches forward, whether we want it to or not, that keeps the world going in whatever imperfect way it does. It's not this whole fantasy that politics is all, all about personalities and individuals that somehow you get the right individual and the parts of the machine that you don't like. The machine is the machine. We exist as cogs in the machine. Grow up, deal with it, live with it. And uh, I just try to cast cast my ballot for whoever's like the least, uh, I don't know, dramatic uh, person uh, to be the figurehead behind the cog. I don't know, you know, just the I, the, the proverbial uh, professional politician bureaucrat paper pusher, which many people are up in arms about, actually appeals to me because like, Look, guys, you want a reality show maniac running the machine or pretending to run the machine, or you just want like a business-like, boring person running the machine. That's kind of my take. Anyhow, uh, so anyway, I'm certainly not a fan of the governor. Um, I do not understand anyone being a fan of politicians. I don't understand putting stickers of politicians on a car. I don't understand flying flags of a politician. Particularly, I love the the ones where it's like they're not even flying an American flag or California state flag. They're just flying like there's this one mutant uh, in the neighborhood I'm moving into that I walk by sometimes when I'm walking over there to get a sense of what it's like to walk in that neighborhood. And this guy's got a um, Trump 1 2020 flag flying in his yard. That just makes no sense to me whatsoever. But it would make as little sense to me as if, like, he had a don't recall Gavin Newsom sign hanging in his yard. Anyhow, um, the thing that's crazy about this recall, though, is um, uh, he would need to lose, basically... 51% of people voting in the election would have to vote for the recall, yes, for him to lose his office. And then after that point, whoever gets the most vote votes out of like the 47 candidates running in the recall would become governor. So that would mean that the person um, who would win, so if were the recall to pass, the person who would win to become the new governor would need such a small share of the electorate that I don't understand how an under any circumstance under any scenario that could be considered um, a democratic election. I mean, I guess technically it is because you, the votes are open to the public. Anyone can vote, but it, it's such a strange system, such a strange system that someone with that small of a share of the electorate could replace someone who won with such a larger share. And to, again, this is not an ideological thing for me. If I lived, if I was seeing this happen in a mutant state and somehow Democrats were backdooring um, Gavin Newsom in as like, a, or someone like that as a candidate and he was only going to get like, you know, 5% of the electorate but he's still going to be governor, that would seem bizarre to me too. I, it's very strange. Local mutants are, are worked up into a frenzy hoping it happens, um, but it's looking less and less likely as the numbers come in, but we shall see, we shall see. But anyway, uh, who cares about that? I want to talk about California. California right now, it's easy with like all the wildfires and the cost of living for there to be all this doom and gloom and hand-wringing and people want to move to Idaho and blah, 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 blah. I've always found this trying to outrun social ills, outrun physical disasters to be such a strange thing. And... I see this happen with um, people I know who have moved out of state, and so many of them, like uh, a couple years ago during some fires, I had a bunch of people that I knew made a mass exodus to Texas, 
And then right after they moved there, there was some, was it Texas where there's like a big storm and like, like power went out and then people were on the hook for like these huge bills. I think that was Texas. I don't, I don't remember the details, but I remember some bizarre thing happened there. And then they all, the people I knew all came running back. It's like, so it was just as bad there as it is here. Welcome to life. I, I, I just, I don't understand, you know, staying where you're from, staying where your roots are, staying where your, your family and friends are. Um, Similarly, I, there was another mass exodus recently, and I knew a few people who moved to New Orleans because I was going to be, you know, somehow, somehow that was the easy life, the big easy. And then the, the hurricane just happened. They're already back. So uh, I don't know. Uh, California, love it or leave it. I'm loving it. I'm staying here. I mean, there's plenty of problems. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it is where I am from and it is my home. And I wanted to revisit, I meant to talk about this weeks ago now. It's totally uh, fading out of memory, but I still want to put it down. I didn't finish talking about my trip to Disneyland. Um, and I'm not going to go into much detail, but I didn't talk about day two of my trip was in the California Adventure Theme Park. And I always get a kick out of the California Adventure Theme Park because it's this theme park that's like a caricature of California. And it's really targeted, I would imagine, at people who are coming to visit from out of state. So it's always funny to go there as a Californian. And like, I'm in California. I live in California. I've always lived in California, but now I'm paying all this money to go to a fake California. But there's something, there's something appealing to me about that. There's something meta about that. And one of my favorite places in the world to be as at the Pixar Pier in California Adventure, which is this fake beach boardwalk. I could go to a real beach boardwalk, and I do go to real beach boardwalks. I visit the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk now and again. But there's something, I get a kick out of being at this phony Pixar Beach Boardwalk, which houses my favorite ride in either of the Disney parks, which is the Incredicoaster. It used to be known as California Screamin' before they uh, reskinned the whole area to be Pixar. But there's there's just, you're, you're nowhere near a beach, but you feel that beach air coming in, and you look at that, garish, gigantic Mickey Mouse Ferris wheel, and you go on the amazing Incredicoaster. You walk over to the fake uh, Chinatown area, and um, you get a, a, a gimmick uh, Chinese IPA and a bowl of ramen, and it, it, nothing better to me. I, I love my time at California Adventure. I love my time at Pixar Pier. Just wanted to finish the story about my trip with that little shout out. But then I want to talk about another trip I went on. Not really a trip, eh, it was a weekend getaway. Um, a couple weeks after that, uh, would have been the weekend right before that last episode I was supposed to record, which I didn't record. So now again, it's all getting dated, but a, a tale of two beaches, a tale of the real and the surreal, the surreal being the fake Pixar pier beach. Um, I also meant to give a shout out. There's a Marvel section in, in Disney now in California adventure and it was kind of lackluster, but, um, I'm hoping Hoping against hope that it picks up. Because oftentimes when these new areas of Disney are introduced, it takes a while for everything to kind of fill in. You know, it's like a, a canvas with the, the borders are put in, but they, it takes a while for like all of the particulars to be populated. That's been going on in that Star Wars area as well. Um, it, it's, I've been to it twice now. And the second time it was much more alive, much more filled in than the first time. So I'm hoping, same thing with Marvel. Anyway, from a fake take on a more Southern California sunny Beach Boys fun, 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 and that fun in the sun type beach to the realities of the beaches where I'm from in Northern California. Um, a couple weekends ago here in Napa, California, there was an event called Bottle Rock, the Bottle Rock Music Festival, which is like three days of all kinds of acts from all genres all playing this thing and people descend on the town and there's a million people here and like this last one was like Guns N' Roses played, Foo Fighters played, five million bands I'm too old to know about or recognize the names played. Three days of outdoor festival concert going but like big time premiere acts. If for, for such a small town as Napa it's crazy that we get these huge 
acts like Stevie Nicks was supposed to play, but she feared COVID. So she canceled, you know, stuff like that. Um, anyway, some dear friends of ours attend this festival every year. And this is the first year that they've been attending it since we've lived in Napa. And they suggested that they stay at our house for the three days of the festival while we spend three days at a family-owned beach house that they have in this community known as Sea Ranch um, up against the coasts here in Northern California. And we said, that sounds like a great idea. So they stayed at our house for three days in walking distance of uh, the Bottle Rock Festival. If they hadn't stayed here, they were going to have to get a hotel and the nearest hotel accommodations they could secure due to the popularity of the festival was a place in a town called American Canyon, which is like a 30-minute drive. So they would have been having to go to the festival, drive back 30 minutes to the hotel, vice versa. Instead, they got to stay at our house and just like walk. It's like a 10-minute walk to the expo where uh, the uh, outdoor expo area, uh, it's called, where the event takes place. But meanwhile, we got to go to their family beach house in this planned community sea ranch. Um, My friend's parents bought it back in the 80s. Um, It's this nice kind of crazy angular 70s beach house with big windows and uh uh it's kind of cool because it's been in the family you know again since the 80s so you can just feel the generations of kids hanging out there going on vacations there um but we're talking northern california beaches so it's super inhospitable uh water some brave souls go out there and surf but it's not like you know fun in the sun everyone it's cold it's misty it's uh foreboding but there's something very restorative about it. And um, spent my, most of my time on the trip sitting out at the deck of the beach house watching content on my Amazon Kindle Fire and just letting the mists uh, overtake me. I know mileage may vary and people are different. I'm someone that does not thrive in hot weather. Like it can be 75 degrees out and I feel like I'm dying. But you put me in some fog, you put me in some mist, and it's like I've been recharged, I've been reborn. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like Wundle, Teen Wundle, at Teen, T-E-E-N, numeral one, D-O-L, on the Twitter machine, at Teen Wundle. I believe friend of the show, friend of me of the show, Teen Wundle, feels the same way. I know he doesn't like the heat. I wonder if the mist affects him the way the mist affects me. But I was born in San Francisco, so I kind of feel myself, I feel that I am a mist creature at heart. I feel I was born of the misty moors, and that mist brings me back to life. So I just sat out there loving life on the deck doing nothing for three days, watching content, catching up on content. And uh, one piece of content that I caught up on, I finished uh, what is available of it in its entirety now, and I have to shout out because I talked about it a few episodes back, and I, I this is a, I have to make a huge public mea culpa. I, I can't remember. I can't remember the last time I was so wrong about something as I was about the Masters of the Universe Revelation series on Netflix, the Kevin Smith project, He-Man project on Netflix, the five episodes available streaming on Netflix. I watched all five of them. I rewatched it all from the beginning out there on that deck. Now, if you recall, I said I had watched the first episode and I thought it was just more of the same of the old 80s cartoon, which I didn't really like in the first place because I thought it was overly buffoony, overly ha-ha, and it's everything that I don't like about my entertainment, but it's everything that often creeps into the genres that I do you like for other reasons? Let me put it to you like this. Uh, I've talked about this on the show before, I believe, but I, you know, you know that I love professional wrestling, but I love professional wrestling in the sense of stage sports drama. I love professional wrestling in the sense of, say, pro wrestling Noah, 
with Mitsuharu Misawa versus Kenta Kobashi. Two hulking titans going at it in a dramatic battle for honor, for integrity. Which one is the better man? Which one will come out on top? Two go in, one will survive. This kind of sports drama. Rocky-type sports drama. You know, an underdog, gritty underdog going in against a vicious, evil heel like Drago. A heel that will kill you, that will tear you limb from limb if you let him. But you have to go in there. You have to guts it out. You have to grit it out. And we watch Rocky. We watch that hearts on fire. We see him come out on top. That kind of sports drama, I love that. Uh, but I, I like that the same that same feeling distilled, like another like in science fiction and fantasy. So in He Man, if He Man was about these gritty individual Skeletor and He Man duking it out to the death, one beheading the other, which is kind of what we see in Revelation, which I'll get to. But I that's what I'm into. Call me no fun. Call, I, I, what I don't like is buffoons. On the flip side, when it comes to wrestling, and people oftentimes, why don't you like X, Y, or Z about wrestling? I, and I understand for most people that watch North American wrestling, this is what we grew up on. This is what we conditioned to think of wrestling as. I never liked the buffoonery aspect of, like, say, WWF wrestling. I never liked that the heels were never scary. The heels were never intimidating. The heels were always just a joke. Heels are always someone wearing an annoying shirt. Heels are always someone saying, like, your mom's a dumb, dumb head. I don't, that doesn't do it for me. That doesn't work for me. And in the original He-Man series, I feel like, for instance, that's how Skeletor was portrayed. Ha ha ha, you boob! <laughs> and He-Man was just like, oh, hey, here, ho, ho. And then we got, oh, it's Orko, <laughs> cringer. <laughs> Everyone's so stupid. These buffoons are hilarious. That's not me. Never will be me. I'm sorry. Just how it is. I understand mileage may vary. You may feel differently. So I watched the first episode of Revelations the first time I tried to watch it. And there's some of that because they're trying to ease you back into the idea of, of the Masters of the Universe series. But I thought it was just going to be more of the boring same going on. What I didn't know, and what we've already talked about on the show, spoiler alert for a show that everyone should have watched by now if they're going to watch, He-Man dies in the first episode. Tila becomes the, the quote-unquote main character. Villains and heroes work together. It's this amazing, taking such a tired franchise as Masters of the Universe and just doing these subtle tweaks that made it so much more compelling. And it's like a... Icy Robots talked about it on one of his episodes of World, World's Famous that realistically, there's the, what's the most boring part about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe? Well, it's He-Man. And so take He-Man away. Make He-Man a suggestion. Make He-Man like a, a backdrop. That's fine. And then let everything else grow from there. And that is what happened with this series. That's what made it so entertaining. I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, if you did watch it, I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't watch it, I guess if you've listened to this, I kind of spoiled it for you, but not really. It's still, I knew, I knew that that's what was going to happen going in. That's why I decided to give it a chance. And even then I wasn't expected for just how different of a take it was going to be, how refreshing of a take it was going to be, how something that I didn't really have that much interest in. Don't get me wrong. Loved and love the toy franchise, but I'm talking about the cartoon, the original cartoon. Something that I just found to be lackluster and just vanilla and boring made it so compelling. So totally enjoyed watching Revelation, and I was wrong. I was wrong. Self-destructions got me again. I was wrong. I realize now that I was wrong. I was wrong, or however that song goes. But yeah, uh, Mia culpa, Mia culpa. This is me virtually eating my hat. I was wrong. He man, Masters of the Universe Revelation, excellent show. Can't wait for the next batch of episodes. Apologies to the incels among us. Um, that's about it for this episode. Um, I do want to give a really quick shout. Maybe I'll talk about this more next time. I I've been 
looking on the book of faces, which I've been kind of trying to stay away from as part of my, my sort of, uh, urge to walk the earth. But then again, like I said, afraid I'm going to miss something. So I do check in been seeing that icy robots is taking what looks like a fantastic, fantastic trip to Reno, Nevada. Shout out to Reno, Nevada. I'm totally inspired by what he's been posting. Go check out the icy robots, uh, Facebook page on Facebook. I think that's where he's been posting it, not from his personal page, but, um, Totally inspired to head back that way myself. Love Reno. Um, I've had many a great experience there. Maybe I'll talk about it more next time. More next time. But yeah, I just I I I I was chomping at the bit. I was looking up articles about the best way to budget and bankroll your your uh, money for slots because that's really the only thing I like to play when it comes to gambling. I don't like the idea of sitting around at a table with other human beings. I just want to sit in a machine. Um, so yeah, I, I was reading about like putting together like a two hundred and fifty dollar. Uh, uh, nut for like to spend for three days gambling on like nickel slots. So I think I might try to do that sooner than later. Shout out to icy robots getting out of the house. Shout out to his trip to Reno, Nevada. Uh, hopefully he won big or at very least had fun playing punch out. Um, biggest jackpot I ever netted in Reno was 300 bucks from a haywire slot machine, quarter slot machine, $300 payout, it was like my third pool, and I just stopped playing after that, and then I went home and bought a new TV. But anyway, we'll be back. We'll talk to you next time about something or other. Um, thanks for hanging around for the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. This is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, and I'm just, I'm straight up signing off. Drive me again, I was one